0: Hi, this is Pastor Frank at First Discipleship. I just want to welcome you to this podcast. This podcast is As a Christian Native American, Part 8, Henneprocero, Alta California Missions, Part 1. So this series of episodes are dedicated to evangelizing Native American Indians. My goal is to talk about some of California's history to bring clarity, myth-bust stereotypes, accepted Eurocentric storytelling, and untold and suppressed information and fabricated lies of history. My main goal is to expose the sin in order to forgive the sin. So in my recent episodes, I mentioned that I have excused Hunepro 50% of his actions based on his Christian intentions of some of his steadfastness in his faith. So being a pastor, I understand some of those difficulties with leading people to the Lord. Interestingly enough, I cannot find a lot of facts about Hanipro Even using uh, popular search engines, it is hard to find any real facts about him. Everything that is out there is all uh, painting a picture of him being this benevolent saint uh, as we know that there's not one human on this earth is that nice or that good, okay? So there's always something dark or something secret about somebody, but this guy has hardly any dirt on him at all. Now, that's not my point is to, to put dirt on Junipero Serra. I just want to know the facts. I want to know the truth. And I'm sure a lot of Native Americans that don't know a lot about this subject, okay, do have personal stories in their family that have very, very, uh, poor or representation of, uh, European Americans. Now, every encounter that we have, we cannot necessarily build on top of what we have incurred as a people. I think people are a lot different they are today than they were back at that time. But yet there still is a type of collective gain on, uh, colonial legacy. So this is something that I'm not really going to get into in this podcast, but I want to do is focus on Junipero Serra. Now, like I said, there's not a lot out there on him except for this whole theme of benevolent saint. Now, um, we have to understand some things, and one of them is Spanish culture. The other one is Spain uh, as a nation or as a country or a kingdom at the time uh, that this was all going on. And bringing that type of thinking, even as, uh, if you really, um, compare the two of our thinking today in the United States and their thinking back then, even in, uh, that time with England as well, there are some major differences in what they believe and how they believed it. Okay. So there were needs and there were, um, you know, civil needs, country, uh, national needs. There's all these different things and they saw as normal or as protocol. Now, that doesn't excuse them. And the reason why I don't excuse them because of that of culture is because it's unbiblical. Okay, so this has an extremely high definition of religious overtone as far as political. Now, when you have both of them, this is why they don't mix. It's not because you can't have good politics without uh, the Bible or without God uh Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit. It's not like you can't have good politics that come from that. What I'm saying is you can't mix them because they're they're completely polar opposites. So, but but this is what this is the catastrophes that happen from it. Now Hennaprosera so the facts still remain clear that there are two polar opposite experience and accounts of history in the Alta California Spanish mission system. There is writing your own history, and the erasure of another. The mythologizing of a man as a benevolent saint and a brave construction worker of Spanish religious colonialism. The failure to reconfigure or redirect methods of approach. Now, how many times do the friars encounter natives how many times uh, throughout the history of because Alta California and the and San Diego and the missions there is not the first encounter with natives cabrillo sailed all the way from el salvador okay and this the some the how the cortez and, and and the 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 spanish had subdued the mesoamerican native americans to be able to even build launch Supply boats to even come to San Diego past Baja, California. This wasn't uh, something brand new. This was something that they are have already had some experience under their belts to be able to deal with these things. Now, why didn't they redirect? Why didn't they say this approach doesn't work? Let's find something that's more... Uh, conducive to the overall loving message of Jesus Christ and the church why didn't they like reconfigure the failure to reconfigure the approach has always angered me has baffled me I mean it it, it speaks to me as if they didn't care about the people they were only and it's obvious that they only cared about the acquisition of land and the natural resources that that land had inside of it. So the people were in the way to be able to acquire these things in order to bring it back to the crown of Spain. Uh, this has always been a, a raw truth that most natives resonate with more than anything else. So if, let's just say, for instance, the approach work was changed and the, their methods and their the redirection was changed to a more, but what they want, what they want their Hanipero to actually be, what they want him to uh, be a, a legacy of, of benevolence. If, if that was the approach and it was the people and they would win the people and then they would eventually win the land, the people would would gladly be put on the same level as the Spanish citizen, but they weren't. At what point were they devalued? You see, and this is this is where the Spanish failed to reconfigure or redirect their methods of approach. And then you have to think what is what okay as far as the the the, the the victim, what are they left to think? Or does that even matter to you? Or does that even matter to anyone? Because to me, it has proved it doesn't matter to anyone. It's just coffee shop talk. It's not anything to get political over. Because you haven't really seen it. The only, I mean, you may have seen it in, in the, the 60s, early 70s, but that was it torched up like newspaper in a fireplace and it died out as soon as it burnt up so you don't hear much of the outcry of the uh, of this specifically in Alta California so this tells me that that nobody cares the only ones that care are the ones who it happened to which are are the natives like myself and my family and, and people that we know are survivors is who it matters to And in that, there's a minimizing and trivializing of Indian accounts of deadly oppression. And at the time, there was language barrier and illiteracy. So this stuff couldn't be written down. Now, what we read okay, now are the writings of Sarah and other monks of the encounters of the Alta California Indians at the time of the of the mission system and what they wanted to write down were they being honest in the beginning maybe but then if you're completely honest in your writings even in a diary and things go south you have to be accountable for those things now the, here here's one of the things that I uh, this is kind of a far cry from and but this is way you know down the line in history germany nazi germany wrote down and recorded everything with detail, which ended up being their undoing when it came time when they lost the war and they found all these documents of their, like, overly detailed reports of many different diverse things. It, it, it incriminated them. So why would you do that? Well, because they thought they would win. It's too bad that this didn't happen here in the fashion the Germans did it, but the Spanish did tell on themselves when it came to some of these writings. So now the Native American didn't have that advantage of literacy, uh, a clear alphabet, and a clear uh, language to be able to um, share their you know their their concerns, their political. You know, ideas, their feelings, and certain and and such. They didn't have that. So what they were really reduced down to is, if they didn't understand and they didn't do what the Spanish friars wanted, the missionary friars wanted them to do, they were basically forced to do it by gunpoint or by corporal punishment. And so they would see the natives the way they looked at it from their perspective. They saw like, well, this this is this is wrong, and this is scary. This is like you know, I. I don't want my children to have that happen to them or to me or my wife so let's just do what they want i guess and this won't happen to us and so there there's so much to ask when it comes to uh, the approach and also the communication between uh, the native uh, california also california uh, indian and the spanish missionaries because Without that, you you basically have a, a gross misunderstanding between both, and we want to believe that uh, Sarah was an accomplished friar uh, because of how many missions he uh, uh, built and, and and was a part of. But he he didn't live all the way through. He definitely established at least ten, I believe, and there was twenty one missions total all the way to sonoma california which where i live or near and and, in that area so the language barriers um the literacy uh of natives it created a problem for both sides but was it their fault the pressure think about why is there so much pressure on uh, on these natives being baptized and and being missionized and being part of spain's uh culture and being part of uh, spain's citizenship why was there such a big push I talked about this in, in an earlier episode of this uh, particular uh, uh, podcast, that there was a geopolitical pressure. You have the Russians coming from the north. You have the, uh, the British coming from the east. Uh, you have uh, Portugal. There's a lot of other uh, people trying to uh, get a piece of the pie. And so the time, they, they knew that the time was short, but they were trying to do it as, I guess, to their, in their culture, the best of their ability, which if they were following the Bible, it would have taken time, okay? It would have taken time because I believe that the word of God is love, and love translates into any language. The way Jesus explained love, it it, it literally goes over-the-top, past language barriers, past uh, cultural barriers, barriers. Okay, loving kindness would have, I really truly believed if it was administered to the to the California, to California Indians, it would have been a different story, given enough time. But because there was so much pressure, they had to get the numbers in. I'm sure that, the crown was interested in numbers. I'm sure that the, the Vatican was interested in numbers. I'm sure that the papacy was interested in numbers. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of things going on here. And then maybe they would say this was enough to be able to claim this land. So there was a lot going on here. So why didn't they, why didn't Hunepro uh, rise up against that type of, uh, I'll call it tyranny? Religious tyranny. Why? Why didn't he rise up against his own and say, "Hey, look, we need. This is not how we do it. This is not how it should be done because it's failing. I'm failing. The friars are failing. The mission system is failing. What? It, they couldn't see that. You could see that the natives just were not cooperating. They would. They just did not want any part of it. And the ones that were already there, they they when they ran away, they would hunt them down and bring them back. Obviously not working. So to heroize their champion with minute flaws and demonize the savage pagan Indian. Now, this is one thing that I I, I think everybody gets to heroize the champion. I I think you get what I'm saying there. But I don't think you get the savage pagan Indian part. I think even Indians don't get the savage in pagan Indian part. Where there pockets of malevolent natives? Of course. Just like there's pockets of malevolent people in other nations and other nationalities. But you can't say that for the whole people. It is obvious that all to California native Indians were not warlike. Because if they were, this would be a different story. But the pagan part, okay, now if you really look up the word pagan, it basically, basically means not Christian, not Judaism, and not Islam. So those three major religions, anything outside of that is paganism. Regardless of how the three don't agree with all of each other, the, the Christianity, the, um, Judaism and Islam, even though they don't all agree with each other, but those, what define what's pagan? Those three are the, the, what, what is non-pagan and everything else, including Native American worship to what they believed in was also pagan, considered pagan. Now, I can't change that fact that is a fact but there are scriptures so here's the thing if you don't know your bible you don't understand what i'm saying you're going to say that's wrong you know stepping on someone else's belief system you know you're going to hear that kind of uh you know unrelated sympathy or empathy and that's just not what's going on here and that's not what i'm saying what i am saying here very clearly is that by definition, Native American people worshipped God to the knowledge they had. Because they actually believed in something outside of themselves. Why I believe that is because the Bible says that God has created us with that inside of us, no matter who you are. Because if you look all over the world, before Christianity was even evangelized over the world, every single culture had some kind of a deity or a polytheism, okay, which they did their best to try to recognize God and which what God created inside of us is to look for something more than what we are. The creation is evident and it shows in its own self, in its own explanation, that there's something beyond who we are. Well, what did they actually see? They saw the sun, they saw the moon, they saw the stars. They saw the blue sky, they saw the ocean, they saw all of the creation, okay? In in Romans chapter one, it talks about how man can come to the knowledge of God by creation. So that doesn't surprise me, that uneducated people around the world not just Alta california natives but all over the world have some sort of deity that they believe in and what they see with their own eyes is nature and then they also believe in the spiritual aspect of life this is all around the globe so i'm not sitting here saying that that the alta california indians were evil okay, what I am saying is that they were ignorant. Pagan doesn't mean evil. It just means ignorant. Now, if the friars had said, okay, what you believe, okay, here, let me just help you understand, explain to you what you already believe in a, in a, in a spiritual aspect and also through the creation to even arrive at the spiritual aspect. Let me tell you and show you what that means. If they were to sit down and try to explain God in, in the in the, the their daily lives, which what they which they did, they lived off the land. So the land meant a lot to them. Matter of fact, that was like fifty percent of their identity was the land. I would use the land. If I was an evangelist, I would use the land as an, as a lesson, a Bible lesson to explain to them that this is what this is. And there's going to be the ones who don't believe and then the ones who are going to believe. And if they don't believe in general, you continue in love, continue in love. Because if people, I think people are more likely to disagree if they don't have a relationship with you. If you have a relationship with somebody, it is a lot easier to be able to convey information, especially spiritual and faith-based information. If you have not been a pastor or you've not done evangelism, or you've not done missions work, you really can't understand what I'm saying. So when I say savage pagan, I don't, I don't believe that that all Native Americans are savage. Were there some savage? some were some natives were made into savages by how they were treated savagely some were malevolent because they believed in the sword or the spear and the uh, the arrow they believed in taking things uh by force there there there's that in every culture not just natives there's there's that in every culture you have the one that will stand up and other ones will follow warlike and then you have the more diplo- diplo- diplomatic, the ones that use diplomacy to be able to get the same outcome, just with no war. You could see that in in, in, our, in our society. You could see that in different tribes. If you go to different tribes, you'll see the ones who are, like, who are very aggressive. Okay, and then you see the ones who are diplomatic. Well, normally, the diplomatic ones are the ones in charge because they think things through. and Not that the ones who are aggressive don't it's just that they want things now normally they're impatient let's just move it out of the way and get things done and then you have the ones who are like say okay before we do that let's do this and this and this because there are th- there are steps to be taken ah you know and then you have this whole debate and argument over between each other so there are this is this is something in every single nationality every nation every tribe every group of people even families is the same way So we can't act ignorant here. So when I say pagan, I say that we're we're non-Christian, we're non-Islamic, and we're non-Judaism. And this is how I truly believe the approach of the Spanish mission saw the natives. So they saw them as childlike children. And even Hennepro you can find all these things if you read enough. You're going to find out that he even said that they're childish and they are people without a purpose. Still to this day, California Indians in 2022 are still the passive people in the shadows of the torn out pages of U.S. history books. Now, I've heard so many stories about the passivity of my own family my own people there are just things that we just don't feel we need to fight for we're kind of like okay this is where we're at we just suffer through it like we suffered through it before and we just keep going i started to realize that we we don't have many champions we have some leaders But they're only known by us, not by anyone else. They're only only known by within our culture, within our people. Great leaders. Smart leaders. Intelligent. Made so much sense and and makes you feel good about who you are and not who, who they say you are. It creates vision. It creates... A heart in you to stand in the gap for the people who who can't, the elderly, the children, and the ones who maybe don't have the education, or maybe in some way are you know trauma had got a lot of trauma and 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 is damaged and, and can't see things any other way. There are leaders that can uh, instill and to foster that kind of heart and thinking to be a leader, to help your people. And if you're not a leader, then to at least help in some way, be conducive to the overall cause. Because no one's doing it for us, if you haven't noticed. To be uh, completely dependent or... To be codependent, or even better, to be independent of the help of the United States government on the federal level. Which I think is, I think to me, would be the best option that would become self-sufficient. There are leaders that can do that. And I'll tell you one who happens to be my uncle was Richard Oakes. Not, he wasn't Pomo, but he definitely was a Mohawk and completely on the different you know, side of the United States from the East Coast. And when they saw his strength, his leadership, I don't think California natives have ever seen anything at the level that he was at and is the reason why everyone knows who he is now. It's not for that reason. It's the fact that he loved his people, loved his family. And we still talk about them like if I'm talking about them right now. This is the reason why, is because we are passive people. There are so many writings uh on on you know the turn of the century of uh people that wrote about the passivity of Alta California Indians, that they were peaceful and basically did they just lived off the land and they existed and and that they were content. Uh, they had families. And one thing about the California Indians that if you don't know this, not only were they just passive people, but they what What did war serve for them? War didn't serve them at all. They knew that because war broke the relationship of their economics. Now think about this. I don't know if you know this, but the California, ultra-California Indians had an economic system. They had a, a system of trading. They have a system of travel. And then they would trade to and from and they would knew diverse languages because California was the most diverse in language of any native, uh, region or, or part of the country. California had the most. The languages were in the hundreds, but yet the surrounding community, they all knew each other's languages for trade. And this is how they, how they were able to have commerce. And see, a lot of people don't know that. So they're not a people without a cause. They're just like England had their country and their commerce and the things that they did. Portugal had theirs. Spain had theirs. California had theirs. So they're just not passive hunter-gatherers. We had things just in our own way. So I found this article as a follow-up to the Clouds book, Russell, Russell means invited me to co-author a second book together, Indian Killers. This would be based on an art series Russell created by the same name, which illuminates how 12 iconic heroes of Western civilization created their famous reputations by murdering Indians. Columbus, Cortez, George Washington, Andrew Jackson, and so on. Russell walked on before we had a chance to write Indian killers. I did, however, get a chance to do a little fact-checking on number three of Russell's Dirty Dozen, Hanepro Serra, recently canonized by Pope Francis I during his visit to the United States despite vociferous and steady outcry from natives from many nations. The article's long so... I'm not going to read it all, but very interesting how that came up. And this is the oral history of Native Americans that doesn't jive with Spanish written history or United States written history or even Mexican uh, written history. So the Spanish mission system was not a fly-by-night operation. It was well thought out and education followed. Now, as I mentioned in previous podcasts, that there was uh, a, a school in Mexico, three of them actually colleges that were teaching Spanish missionaries to encounter uh, the natives, how to set up shop, how to um, uh, they're having presidios and the protection of the soldiers. They, they gave them the, the 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 education they needed to do these things, and they actually went to school for this. So this was well thought out enough to build a college for it, you know, and then send missions from, uh, you know, from the Franciscan order and the friars of it and, and be able to send them there. That I'm sure that all costs money. And, and to invest in this type of missions work, um, was something that they, uh, they felt confident that they could do. And I, I talk about this in, in, in previous podcasts. So go back and listen to it if you're interested to, to see where I'm, what I'm saying. So, Junipero Serra played a large role in this endeavor. Uh, he helped it, it with the education aspect. So, the Presidios were a part of the plan to protect the missionaries and the missions once built. But they expected hostility from the Indians. So, the fact that they had to build Presidios. Now, if you don't know what a Presidio is, it's basically a place where soldiers live it's like a barracks, I guess. And they have, a presidio has, you know, um, the things that they, uh, that is conducive to protection, say like guns, maybe even cannons, um, bayonets, swords, anything that you would, that would be related to, uh, um, you know, soldiering, um, learning how to be a soldier, um, maybe target practice. There's a lot of things that, that a, a presidio would do. Uh, maybe there's marches that they do. Maybe there's exercise. So there's things that, 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 that they were considering and the expectation, I believe, of hostility from the natives because of what they have. Uh, why would they do that if they didn't have an expectation? Because if you think about it, going sailing, uh, Cabrillo saying, sailing from El Salvador and all the issues that they had with the, the Mesoamerican, Central American, uh, natives there, subduing them and then moving on enough to be able to um build and uh boats that are seaworthy uh possibly uh docking building a dock um finding fresh water all the supplies it would take to make those journeys they would all have to be in some kind of an operation to be able to have those uh supplies uh for that uh level of mission um to sail so they had uh, a a working up and running uh, system that all they would do is reproduce that at every place they would actually uh, drop anchor and to build foundation so what their what their mission is and here it is to build missions i don't know if they intended to build 21 of them but they definitely was to build they had a plan because they this was all mapped out for all this to take place expected hostility uh, was by experience they knew that with the pressure they had on them in order to be able to to take the things that they wanted to take, they had to kill people in order to do it. So because they had this uh, expectation, I believe was a sort of a fear, because can you imagine spending all that money, sending your missionaries there, and they all get killed and the soldiers come back and say, hey, sorry, we did our best, um, it didn't work. So what are they going to do? They're going to go back. And they're going to probably kill them all, just how they did in Central America. They killed a lot of natives that are now extinct. They're no longer there's no longer they're now no longer there. So so it's safe to say that once they got out of line and even the, the loving so called missions work that was going to be able to do the job, if that didn't at least they had the backup for the Presidio and the soldiers in it. A book called Writings of Hanipro Sarah. You could actually uh, find this online. It's a series of books. Uh, It's edited by by Antonin Taibisar. I'm pronouncing that correctly. You can purchase or read this online for free. The writings of Sarah often talk of friars being homesick, also being sick and ill. On another note, Sarah is encouraging mixed marriages with Indian women. I've always wondered why. Because there's a couple ways that you can actually take land from people. There's a non-aggression act in Europe where they would actually have two nations that are just as strong as one another. They don't want to go to war. So what do they do? They take the son of one nation or a daughter and a son or daughter of another nation. Then you have a son marrying one of the daughters of both nations of the royalty, which creates a non-aggression act. And when they have children, okay, then they're, and that happens over and over and over. Well, each of them become part of each other's nation. And if they were ever to go to war, they'd be killing each other's family. We don't want to kill family. So this was very smart. I believe it's the same thing. But, on the other hand, I also believe that if you can't get them out, you breed them out. The last thing is something a little more uh, involved, and it's something that I'm... These are my opinions, but as we read on. So, the devastating disease that killed the Indians weakened them for future unforeseen oppression. As we know that, that all the things that... From San Diego all the way to Sonoma... We know that there was a lot of disease and a lot of the natives died from the disease because their immune system could not fight a, a foreign uh, disease, a uh, pathogen, or some kind of a viral or anything of the sort. They, they just didn't, they weren't accustomed to that. And, and Europeans were accustomed to that over, you know, hundreds of years so by the time you have the mission system, then you have the, the the Mexicans, and then you also have the the Americans, after those three things, you can see that the, the every single time that different people were over them, they were weaker and weaker. So at what point was there a redirection of contact? At what point do you say, okay, these people are getting sick because of us, and they obviously have this disease because you know, we know it, we see it. Uh, maybe they had uh, smallpox, maybe they had you know influenza, I don't know. At some point, they're going to be like, yeah, they, they are getting sick because of us. Maybe we should do something different. So my question was, is why, why wasn't there a redirection of contact? When did Sarah realize the disease-ridden culture that he was from was affecting the Indians? How many Indians died or that were even recorded by the missions due to death of disease? You want to talk about statistics? You want to talk about the truth? You want to talk about telling the truth, writing the truth? Do these, do these death tolls exist? And are they going to take blame for it? And this is why I disagree with the population estimation of anybody studying. This subject, uh, the, the only the the Alta California Indians know these answers indefinitely, because pre Columbian, pre Spanish mission, pre anybody, they knew who were, who were there. They knew how many. I mean, think about it. You're talking about the Oregon from the Oregon border. You're talking about Nevada. Okay you're talking all these borders you're talking a gigantic piece of land and you're going to only tell me that by the time anyone started investigating the people in the interior on the borders of these states that by the time they were doing it that they had the full count oh, I I sorely disagree there's just no way to know and if you're going to reduce it to only a 300 to 350,000 do you really think that that's that's how, how many people that's probably how many that they probably at the time they were able to count them and do some kind of a census but there's no no way to know and I believe that there's been it was probably like 500,000 or a, up to a million but one number they are right about is that there were 30,000 in 1900 that's what one thing and so to even say if there was 300,000 500,000 or even a million, but we do know there's 30,000 that are left. What does that tell you about the genocide? You see, so I think even that number lessens the blow for the perpetrator. But that's just my opinion. When did Indian women become attracted to the Spanish soldiers? The Spanish soldiers routinely raped young teen girls, young women, some at night would sneak into their mission dwellings or their mission quarters because they had quarters and rape them, molest them. Do you hear those stories? No, you don't. You don't. They're not going to write that down. Okay. And out of all the rapes, what was there like recorded? Like two. Soldiers that beat the women and punished the children with whippings. And killed the Indian men for trying to stop them. Here's one thing that you, that if you don't hear what I'm saying, here's one thing that for sure. if you separate the women, you separate the children, you separate the men, how do they reproduce? How do you how do you have a family unit? You don't. This was methodic by the missions, by the friars. Read between the lines. At what point did the Indian women consider or desire marriage with such men that were openly brutal with their people? Was there a calculated cover-up for sudden group pregnancies and births of mixed-race children? Sarah encourages marrying Indian women. I really, truly believe that this was just a formality to save face for Spanish Catholicism, friars, and missions work to appear by going by the book. If you use common sense to read between the lines and you read the the actual, you know, story that's given to the public, read the notes and the Diaries of these men that are in this uh, Spanish missionary system. You can see history through some of the things they're writing. The inflections of, of their emotions through the writings. And then some of the things that contradict the things they are writing because of the outcome and the results. Cloaking sexual sins like rape and molestation of Indian children and women by the soldiers and even maybe by the friars. And this would instill fear of failure to report to the crown of Spain, which would probably pull the whole operation and the funding of this so-called holy mission of Christian evangelism. The redefining of terms and justifying the beatings, whippings, and the psychological trauma of the baptized Indian mission community. Whether you know this or not, any native or Alta California Indian that was baptized, okay, were automatically, if you even want to say it this way, were basically automatically, if not, not maybe uh, defined as property of the missions, but definitely redefined as a servant. But by the way they treated them, they might as well have been property of the missions and the friars. And they would basically be subject to what the friars wanted them to do. And culturally, Spain, they're... Maybe at the time it was okay to do the things that they did, but as we see here and now, just even reading the Bible, you could see that, that this is completely not only morally wrong, but it was completely against what we know that is in Scripture. But they were still doing it. I mean, it almost says it almost seems like they don't know what they're talking about or, or and to interpret scripture in love, or they don't or they do, and they just are ignoring it for the purposes of of numbers and, and colonialism. Do we really truly believe that the Alta California Indians really knew that once they were baptized by the Spanish missions means that they are now subject and servants for life to the order of the Franciscan Friars and Missions? Do you really believe that they understood that? I mean, if you didn't understand that, would you, I mean... And then finding out later that it's something else, you'd be like, "What did I just sign up for?" You know, it'd be wrong. I'm telling you right here and now, it was wrong. They did not understand. If they anybody with their with their right senses, and the Native Americans were, because if they could have what they had, trade, an economic system, language system, communications. Trading, I mean, there's no way that anybody can that can do that and can survive in California for over a thousand plus years without anybody helping them, and they're just there doing what they normally do, creating a society. No matter what we think of that society, creating a society that they would say, "Yeah, I want to belong to a missions where I have no freedom and I have be I have to be subject to these men." foreign men with their foreign ideas and their foreign religion. That's what I want to sign up for. I could tell you right here and now they did not know. And if they did know, they would know somewhat, you know, in a, in a very limited way, not in a full understanding way. Now, mind you, Indian women were the only women in Alta California at the time. The soldiers were being paid to be there. They weren't friars of the faith. The soldiers may have confessed Christianity as their personal religion uh, or faith, but were so far from being obedient to Scripture and being like Jesus. So the next question is, is where I would hear the criticism, this is where I hear the, uh, the, uh, the, the opposite opinion and voices. The next question would be, where is the proof? Where is your proof of all these accusations against the Spanish missions and soldiers? Because I'm used to that. Not just in this, but I'm used to doing apologetics, so this is right up my alley. I would say, just ask the survivors. Ask the surviving California Indian tribes what happened. And they will tell you, through their oral history, you will hear an entirely different story. The genocide speaks for itself. Why? is because in the 1900s, there was only 30,000 Indians in California left. Disease, rape, molestation were all forced on the Alta California Indians. You don't have to just take my word for it. Do the DNA testing and see how many links to Spain and Mexico there are. The social stratification for California Indians also speaks for itself. Average expected lifespan of an Indian in California missions life is about 10 years. Well, aren't you going to ask why? No, because it's ugly. You're not going to ask why. Forced labor, malnutrition, rape, disease. This is factual suppressed truth to give cover for the perpetrators. Using common sense to find the truth. So let me give you a little history lesson here. Whipping was a common civilized practice in Spain for punishment. This was the standard for Sarah's upbringing. In Spanish culture, for the convicted, would receive 200 lashes. All 21 Alta California Spanish missions were built primarily of Indian labor. now, this is part one, okay, of this particular title. All of this is under Haniprocera. You don't have to just believe me, but at least believe this. I am half Mexican and half Pomo Indian myself, so I am living proof. Oral history from natives is highly scrutinized and merely called fabrications and lies. Strangely enough, the book of Genesis to Exodus of Egypt was an oral history until Moses wrote it down. What about the oral history of illiterate African slaves and post-slavery of the Jim Crow South of oral history of lynchings? So in closing, I I read an article uh, on... Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois is very short, but there's a lot to know. I really like his writings, and I've read uh, some of his books. But W.E.B. Du Bois, the founding editor of Crisis Magazine, a monthly journal created by the NAACP, was determined to give African Americans a national voice in their own history, political affairs, and social issues. Go look that up. If you see, they started recording lynchings. Every time there was a lynching, they would, uh, they would, I think the way I read it, I believe they would hang out a flag or hang out some kind of a a streamer to, to signify there was another lynching that was reported. And this went on and on and on. I believe there's up to about 4,000. I think it read four to 5,000 lynchings in a certain period of time of the Jim Crow South. You want to talk about justice on oral history? I'm not painting anybody anyway. These are facts. I have my opinions which are based on these facts that are based on two sides of the story. Call it what you want. Call me what you want. Justice can never be administered if this kind of suppression exists. Healing and forgiveness are put on standby as well. This is Pastor Frank at First Discipleship. Amen.